it's interesting. It's interesting how uh, characters in literature can take on a kind of universal um, meaning or understanding by, by virtue of characters and what that character is like. For instance, in 1843, Charles Dickens wrote what famous book? What is it? A Christmas Carol, exactly. And in that, there was a, uh, there was a miserly guy called Ebenezer Scrooge. And I'm uh, reading stuff this week, and, and uh, it was interesting that I'm hearing people being called a Scrooge. Well, in, in time, in 1957, somebody, a famous person wrote a book. The famous person was Dr. Zeus. And he wrote a book uh, called How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And, uh, and so he, he looks at this, this Grinch, um, and, and, and the Grinch is not a nice person. In fact, he, he had a rough life as, a, as a, a kid, as a young person, and for 53 years he was locked away, kept away from people, and he wanted to stop Christmas, all that joy and all that merriment and all the rest of that. He wanted to do that. And um, it's interesting, uh, I, heard, I heard somebody called a Grinch on the, on the radio this past, oh, so-and-so is such a Grinch. And so we take these words and, and they end up having meaning for us in that way. Um, yesterday, I was having a run in the early morning when it was dark, and uh, I saw that we had a Grinch in our neighborhood. I, have we got that up there, guys? So look at, you know, it's dark, and here is the Grinch, and he is, he's featured in our uh, community. Um, and, and so it would seem to me that Christmas as we know it is kind of being tossed aside this year. We don't know what we're going to be up to. We're, we hear that you can't have people, you can't travel, you were going to have a vacation, you were going to see family, and, and some of those things have been stopped. And so we, we've been kind of sideswiped by a new uh, Grinch. It's a pandemic called COVID-19. And, and it has the ability to, to steal from us Christmas. Um, and, and, and so, there, you know, and just in, it's heartbreaking to hear what so many people are experiencing through this. Uh, people have lost their jobs, lost their businesses. Um, there's relational strain on people. Um, there's loneliness and isolation. There are mental health issues. Uh, there, the, the, there are addictions on the increase. Suicide is on the increase. And I've talked to so many people, and I say, hey, how are you doing? And they go, hmm, just trying to get by and, and having a tough time. I, I talked last week to a, a, a counselor that went through a very difficult and traumatic time. Um, he, was, he was called uh, by 911 if, uh, if he could talk with uh, a woman who was just, had kind of come to the end of her rope 
and was ready to commit suicide. And so he, he's talking to her, and as he's talking to her, he told me, she says, I'm, I'm going to take pills now. And he could hear because everything was done with the phone right there, took the pills, wait a little longer. She says, I'm going to take more pills now. And this counselor said, you know, please, please don't. Help is on the way. People, you know, when people without hope, life is not worth living anymore. And, and he said, she took more pills. And then she said, he said, I heard her breathing change. And then she stopped breathing. And she said, that's the first experience I've had of being there and trying to help somebody that, I, that couldn't be helped. And I said, man, how are you doing with the trauma of that? Because, you know, the, the person who's reaching out, uh, the police finally got there and had to break down the door to get in, and it was too late. I'm not blaming everything on, on the virus, but the virus has touched a lot of people, and, and a lot of people are struggling and, and, and losing hope, and there's this huge impact that's happening out there of people struggling, people wondering whether they're going to make it. And, and, and so we come into this Christmas time, and it's just, it's just the time that things are supposed to be right and go right. We're supposed to be with family and celebrate, and there's supposed to be joy and love and peace and, and a sense of hopefulness. And that's not what everybody is experiencing. We need to have strength to battle this. We need hope to move on. And you know, the thing is, the Bible is not, um, the Bible is not uh, tuned out for what reality is in our world. It's not naive about the kinds of things we're all going for, through. In fact, I would say there is what I would call a groaning in a pandemic world. You know, sometimes when you, you, you're so distraught, you, you, words just don't express it, and all you can do is, is kind of groan. We live in a world that is broken and, and, and that is difficult. And in, in talking to people who are struggling, you realize how, mu how, how uh, prevalent that is. Um, this world we're in is a world that groans. In fact, it says this. In, in, in uh, the passage that was read for us, that creation groans. Creation is groaning. I say, w w what do you mean by that? It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Something happened when... when when we sinned against God, when we rebelled against God, we thumbed our noses at his, his leadership. We said we're going to do our thing our way. And, and what, what the result of that was catastrophic across the planet in our lives as human beings. And it says the creation is subject to frustration. Um, and and we, we look at predation with animals. We see them tearing each other apart. Uh, this is not how it was to be in, in the first place. Uh, we see um, animals going extinct. We see what's happening um, uh, to the environment. We see what's happening with plants and weeds and things that grow up and take over other things. Uh, 
we think of things like virus and diseases, all part of our world. Things that, that, that drag us down and hurt us. And the whole grown, the, the whole cr of creation, animate and, and inanimate, are groaning. It's not just them. Believers groan. Listen to what he says in the next verse in Romans 8, 23. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our body. I asked my father a few weeks ago, my, my mom passed away about a year and a half ago, and, and um, you know, I, I did hear my dad, and, and he would, expressing his grief, oh. I said, Dad, what happened when Grandma died? My grandmother died when I was just over two, uh, and uh, I had apparently this incredible relationship with this woman, and a drunk driver went through and, and hit their vehicle, and my grandmother was killed. She had teenagers up to early 20s, and... Um, I said, Dad, how did Grandpa handle that? He said he would walk around and he would just, he would just groan with this. <sighs> I remember, I remember a, a woman who lost her son in a motorcycle accident, and I went with the family uh, at, before any of the viewing, uh, before the casket, and this woman just dropped to the floor and groaned. This is the world that we're in. We groan. We see injustice and disease and broken relationship and addictive behaviors and abuse and killing and, and, and all of these kind of things. And this is the world we're living in. We're saying, where is the hope in all of this? We need hope for the stress we're under, for the groaning that we do. Have you thought what... What is hope, though, really? You know, our, our thing, our, our idea of hope is, well, I, you know, I bought a, a lottery ticket, and I'm hoping I cash in. Uh, this is not the kind of hope that the Bible talks about. So the question is, what is biblical hope? Biblical hope is this. I, I just want to touch on a few things. First, it's the expectation of a preferred future based on God's promise. God says, I want you to understand there are things about your future that are going to be wonderful. And, and there's, there's a future that is going to be better. The, the stuff that you've had to go through, the pain you've had to endure and all of that, there is something better that God has promised for you. Um, here's what it says in Hebrews 10. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God has made promises to us, and he wants us to, to trust in him in that way. It's a future orientation. It's, it's, it's an orientation that recognizes that God's going to fix the broken things that we've had to live with here. It's rooted in what God has promised. It's also closely related to faith. Hope and faith go together. You'll see that happening in Scripture in different ways. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
So there's this element that God has said there's something future, and he wants us to believe him. He wants us to put our faith in him. He wants us to, to put our trust in him. And hope is that expression of faith that what God has promised, he will do. Well, not only that, it requires waiting patiently. It requires waiting patiently. In 1 Thessalonians 3, or 1, verse 3, it says, We continually remember you before our God and Father, your work produced in faith, your labor prompted by love, and listen to this, and your endurance inspired by hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what, he, what he's saying is, it's, it, it calls for waiting. It calls for endurance. It says in Romans 5, uh, 8, 25, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So God wants us to, to trust him, and that will require times our waiting, our waiting on him. Um, it's no quick fix. It's trusting God and having strength through him. Um, it also, it will become obsolete, obsolete with faith at a future time. Do you know there's a time when you're not going to, hope is not going to be anything that you need to have. When I was 19, I'd saved money, saved money. We were in the music business, and I bought a grand piano. And I, you know, as I was saving money for it, and, and, and as uh, it was going to be delivered, I am so excited. And, and it, it, what is it? It's my hope, my hope of what it's going to be like to have this piano. And, uh, but when I have the piano, I cease hoping. Why? Because I have it. What I wanted that was out there is now my possession. And that's the same with, uh, not only with, uh, with hope, it's the same with faith. Do you remember the great uh, love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13? And, and these three things abide, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love because there's a time when we don't have, we don't need, we don't need faith because we have sight. Um, we, we don't have to believe something that we can't see. And it's the same with hope. Hope is we, we have it for a time, but we don't need it all the time. For in, this, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it. So there's this, there's this orientation for that. And, um, and, and so uh, faith also will be fully realized when Jesus returns. Listen to what it says in Titus 2. In Titus 2, it says, uh, we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is fully realized when Jesus comes back and he will fix everything that has been broken, everything that has, has caused pain and, and turmoil and strife and, and death. All of those things will be, he'll take care of. Now, we need hope in the midst of a pandemic. And, and how, do we, how do we find hope in a time like this? Well, I want to, uh, this, this portion of of Romans 8 is it's like the apex in scripture of security that we have in God and I it, it is so rich 
like we could go and examine every petal, but we don't have time to do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go fairly quickly over uh, about more than half the chapter of Romans 8, and I want you to soak in the security that God has for his people. The first thing that helps us with this hope in a pandemic is this. We have a caring father. We have a caring father. Listen to what it says. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons or children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. See, that, uh, w- what we go through is it's like we're fearful, we're struggling. But God gives us Uh, uh, He gives us uh, the Holy Spirit. You've received a spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. He says this in here. He says, I've given you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit in you will identify you as my child. And you're going to be able to shout, Daddy, Daddy, to the God of the universe. You need a father who loves you. You need a father who cares for you. You need a father that you can identify with his family. And he provides all of that for us. He is a caring father. And and he says, don't you understand? You're my children. Don't you understand that you're heirs of everything I have and co-heirs with Jesus Christ? And he says something that may be a little disturbing for some of us. At the end of that, he says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. And there's there's this program in God that God has that we may need to go through some suffering and some difficult times. You say, I don't like that. Well, I don't like it either. But he says that if we share that, we share also the glory. You can't just have the glory without some suffering. And Jesus' life was, was uh, uh, indicative of that. So we have a caring father, but we also have a glorious vision of the future. In Romans 8.18, he says this. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. There's something that's coming that is so great, it's so phenomenal, that, that when we sit, Paul says, when I sit down, and it's interesting because I consider that consider or reckoning, is, it's also a mathematical word in, in, uh, in its meaning. And and, and Paul is saying basically this then. When I do the math, when I consider everything that's going on, so there's there's the suffering that I may have to endure, but there's this glory that's held out in the future. And he says, when when I do the math and I I, I take a sheet and I, 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 I divide the sheet in two and I say, well... What, do I, what accrues to me if, the, if I have the glory that God is talking about? And what do I have if I got suffering? And he said, when I do the math, like I've got a bazillion things on that list uh, of the glory of God, of what it's going to be like 
When, when, when I have an experience, the glory of God in, in my body, in my environment, if everything, he says, you know what, when you do that, he said, the suffering's not, it's not that meaningful. He said, I, I, can, I can get by that because I, I understand that it, it is transitory. It's, it's only going to be here for a time, and then we will, we will uh, have the glory of God that will be revealed in us, and you can't begin to compare it. So he has this understanding, um, and, and when we see so much of the New Testament, it talks about that kind of thing. We went through 1 Peter. It's, it's in there. It's in the Gospels. We want, we want the glory without the suffering, but we may need that. Henry says, when you do the math, there's no contest. You hang in there for the long term because you know the payoff is so great. Do you know, it's to see some people... Um, they want, to, they want to have something now. They don't want to have to wait for it. And sometimes we, we get things that we want now instead of waiting for something better later. And Paul, in essence, is, is saying that. He said, boy, when you compare it, it's not worth it. Trust in God. Uh, look forward to what he will do. Well, the next thing is, uh, there is a groaning spirit. Well, we talked about the... The, the uh, creation groaning. We talked about Christians groaning, but the spirit groans. Listen to what it says in verses 28, uh, 26, and 27. In the same way, the spirit helps in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for. You ever been in that position? You don't, you've got a difficult situation. You don't know how to pray. You know, I, I, I don't know, what, should I pray this way or should I pray that? We don't, we don't know. But he says, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans. With groans, guttural sounds that, that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. How are you going to make it through there? How are you going to know what to do? He says, you have a Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who is groaning on your behalf. And those groanings that to us may seem unintelligible are, are speaking to God the Father for what we need, that he would provide what we would need and he always prays according to the will of God. How are we going to get through that? There's a spirit of God who is groaning and praying for us and interceding for us according to God's will. Is that incredible or what? And, and so when you wonder whether you're going to be able to make it, you remember that the spirit of God is, is praying on your behalf. Not only that... He wants us to know about God's good plan. This is a verse that a lot of my life has been hung on for what it means. He says in uh, Romans 8:28, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. We know that in all things God is working. 
He's working, you know, in all things, in all circumstances. You, you have, are you going through a tough time? Is, is your health bad? Is your relationship broken? Um, all of the things that, that can be miserable in our life that we would say, God, take this away. God, I don't want this anymore. Please remove it from me. And we saw with the Apostle Paul in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 12 how he was able to give thanks for his weaknesses. And, and God gave him strength to do that. And most of us who say our, our prayer if we're going through something difficult is take it away, take it away. The Apostle Paul came to the point where he could say, I don't want you to take it away. Give me strength. Give me grace to, to do that. And so he says, we know. We know. We anchor our life. This is something that you can count on, that God is working for your good and for my good. And sometimes there are things that, that uh, he can only achieve in our life are, are, are based on some tough things that we have to go through, and we learn to trust him. We learn to, uh, to uh, become stronger in him. And so he says that um, it's good. Whatever he does will be good, and he will make you more like Jesus Christ, which is his purpose after all. Well, beyond this, there is what I want to call ironclad salvation. Ironclad, it's, it's locked down, it's, it's here for us. Um, this ironclad salvation uh, shows five things that God does from eternity past to eternity future. That, that when we think about our relationship with God, I think so often we think about, here's, what I, here's how I came to faith in Christ. Here, here are the things that happened. Here, here are the conversations or the circumstances, the people God put in my life, the books I read, all of those things. And, and I see this is... This is, my, uh, this is how I came to faith in Jesus. And though there's, there are elements of that that's true, what we don't see is the behind the scenes what God is doing. And what God is doing begins with eternity past. It says this, for those God foreknew. What's he saying? He's saying God knew you. In eternity past, before there was a, before there was a creation, be, he knew you. He had you in mind. He, he loved and cared about you. He had a purpose and a plan for your life. He foreknew you, and then he also predestined you to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So he not only knew you before anything was, he also predestined you to a, a course of life that would make you more like Jesus Christ. Not only that, those he predestined, he called. He, he issued a call to them, come to me. And he drew us to, to himself. It's something that we wouldn't have done left to our own devices. It's something that the Spirit of God did to draw us to him. And the ones that he called, he also justified. He declared them righteous. He acquitted them of everything so that when he looked at him, uh, he saw them only as absolutely pure and holy with nothing wrong about them. They were justified. They were declared absolutely righteous and holy before God. 
And the ones that he justified, he glorified. And it's interesting to me that he puts this in the past tense because it's so sure. The Apostle Paul would say in another place in Ephesians that he, he was in the heavenly realms. He, that's where his position was. And so here we are. Um, and and the, the plan of God is so foolproof that he foreknew and he predestined, and he called us, and he justified us, and he will glorify us. It's, it's there, and it's in the past tense because you can, you can uh, write it up. You can, you can uh, uh, stake your life on that ironclad salvation. You see how locked down this is? Your salvation is dependent not upon the goodness that you that you show, and, and our lives ought to be filled with goodness. That's God's plan, to be like Jesus. But, but he says uh, it's based on everything that he has done for us. Well, there's then this final security in this passage. And uh, he poses a question. And the question is this. If God is for us, if God is on our side, if he's on our team, who can be against us? Who can be against God? What shall we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Have you thought of the magnitude of that verse? With whatever you're going through, whoever's against you, no matter how powerful they are, no matter what they do, no matter who they have on their side, all of those things, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who can do something outside of what God would allow? This, this final security. And, and he goes on, and he really has a series of five questions here. What should we say? Um, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, the answer is nobody can be against us successfully outside of what God would allow himself. And he who did not spare his own son gave him up for us all. Would God, would God turn us away? He says, don't you know that God sent his only son to die this incredibly torturous, terrible uh, death and live a life of perfection as a human being for some 30 years? And, and he said, is God against you, doing all that for you? Well, don't be ridiculous. He goes on to say, Um, how, uh, how, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? What do you need in your journey? What do you need in your hopeless situation? He, he says, God is, will give you all the things that you need to be successful in that. All, all that you need, he will provide for you. You say, I don't know how I'm going to stand up in this difficult situation. Well, I do. If it happens, it'll happen because he knows what your needs are before you even ask, and he will graciously give us all things that we're, are necessary for us to live the life that he wants to live and to be victorious. Um, he goes on uh, to say, um, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies you. You, you think God is going to turn on you now 
when God gave his son, when he gave you everything necessary, you think he's going to turn on you? You think that somebody can bring a charge against you? The people whom God himself chose? It's God who justified you. He declared you righteous. Who is it that condemns? Is it Christ Jesus who died? More than that, that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God the Father and interceding for us. If you're to be condemned, will it be Jesus who gave his life for you? Um, will, it, will it Jesus who re- was raised from the dead on your behalf, who's seated at the right hand of majesty? And look, at if you thought it was so great that the Holy Spirit was praying for you in groans that can't be uttered, here's Jesus interceding for us. There's Kevin Rutledge. He messed up again. The enemy of my soul, Satan, bringing charges against me. And Jesus says, get out of here. I covered his sin with my blood. And here he is interceding for us. What what a beautiful thing. Well, he, he talks in the next question about the inseparable love of God. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to the slaughter. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He says, when you, when you think of all that you're up against people wanting to kill you. There were persecutions. There, there were martyrdoms and all of that kind of thing. And, and he says, he, says uh, he is with us in all of that. What can, what can separate us? He goes on to say, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, somebody could kill you. That, that, that's not the end of the story. Neither angels nor demons, the spirit world, they can't do anything. Neither present nor the future, time, nor uh, any powers, neither height nor depth, spatial area, time area, all, all all the different ways you can think of. Nothing, nothing can separate you in all creation from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know how much you are loved? Do you know how much God has done for you? No amount of trouble or deprivation or danger or martyrdom can separate us from God's love. We are more than conquerors. We are on the winning side. And Paul is convinced. He, he, lifts, he lives his life based on this. He is 100% secure in his life. Nothing, nothing, nothing can separate him from the love of God. I said at at the start, this doesn't provide all that we might want. What, What most of us want when we're going through problems is God take it away. God remove it. And God doesn't always do that. He doesn't take a magic wand and say, all right, easy life for everybody. Everything will be fine. Everything will be in harmony. There will be no need. There will be no sickness, none of that. Now, that's not what he promised. He promised that he would be there if we go through difficult times. 
And he promised that he will, if our trust is in him, ultimately we win. Our hope is, is looking to that direction. And, and, and all the difficult things, all the stresses we have, all the, the problems, the relationships that are, 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 are having difficulties, the sickness, the disease, you know, God is, God is going to eradicate all of those. He's going to cease all pain and sorrow. There'll be no more tears. In fact, it says God will wipe away their tears. It'll be, it'll be a, a past memory that will be lost. And, and instead of that, God himself will take us to be with him forever and ever and ever. And there's this certain uh, certainty, this inviolable faith, this changelessness in this hope that we have. And we have just climbed to the summit of Mount Everest, and we're at the peak of where we could be with God's promise for our security. And so I want to tell you, take hope. Take hope. Look to God. There is, there is hope. In Hebrews 19, uh, 619, it says this, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Are you anchored to him? Are you going through tough times and wondering how you're going to make it? I, I, I encourage you to go back through this and, and see what God says. He is on your side. He will help you. He will guide you. And, and the psalmist in Psalm 42 cries out, why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. Hey, there's a season of groaning, but the groaning is going to be over at a time. I mean, uh, I remember standing at the, at the, the graveside of, of my, uh, my cousin's little child, two and a half years old, died eating a hot dog at the, at the lunch table with his siblings, got lodged in the throat. We as a family stood. <laughs> Is that easy? It's heartbreaking to see that little casket with that little precious little girl in China. We gathered around that, that grave. And, and we're a family of faith. We have a hope beyond this, and we anchor ourselves to that hope, a hope like an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And I want to encourage you in the difficulties and the trials that you keep your eyes on Jesus, you would focus on him. And folks, we're a part of a family here. We're a part of a body. And if you're struggling, you need to reach out to us too. We want to help you. We want to encourage you if you're going through difficulties. But as we begin this, we realize that as Christians, we have a hope that is incredible. And my prayer is that we all would live with that hope that will give us the strength we need day by day to keep on this journey. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your, your promises to us, for the hope that is ours for something that is so beautiful and so eternal and lasting that, Father, it, it would 
cause everything else to pale by comparison. I pray that you'd help us to, to get a glimpse of heaven, of what you have for us, that would help us through the difficulties in our life. May we revel in the fact that you love us, you know us, you, uh, you care for us, you provide everything we need, and you are praying for us, blessed Holy Spirit and Lord Jesus, that we'll make it through. And so I pray that we would realize that in Christ's name we ask, amen. Thank you.